0: Launch ladies and monopropellant misters, find your aerodynamic center, pray for the preservation of your payload, and
1: wow, I am really having a hard time disengaging my suction lock. Because this is one small step for podcasts and one giant leap for Talk Tall to Me. Welcome, I'm Omen Thomas Sade, And I'm Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moems. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A cross-check
0: countdown in the launch bay of Prague rock, in which Newton's Third Law Nick and Optimum Mass Omen try desperately to counteract the ablations caused by the violent acceleration of every single track that anti-spiral rock band Jethro Tull has ever sent careening into the sky we will counteract the unsymmetrical thrust of Uniform. We will tamp down the warm sporin wadding into the rover rocket. And we will do our best to disengage the servo on Salamander's Screamer. And if, after years of research, we can improve our Anderson aerodynamics and finagle the flute fin wraps, we will finally succeed in landing on the Moam Moon. It's not rocket science.
1: It's the science of rock. That was good. That was a that was a good button at the end. Let's change it up a little bit. To do something good? To change to do something good, exactly. Yeah, just for the novelty of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. We'll get some hate mail that we're starting to show quality, but I we'll we'll get back to crap, don't worry. Nick, speaking of crap, how are you doing? <laughs> oh dear god. I'm I'm well,
0: Oman. How are you? I am I'm doing as good as can be expected and I am delighted to be
1: talking tall again this week with you my friend nick here we are yet again talking tall rounding out the album proper this week we are on the final question mark final track off of under wraps with two more question mark bonus tracks to follow and that's about it we're in the final tracks of under wraps we're wrapping up and under wraps that's the safe way to say it yeah absolutely that's the safe word to say it that's the safe word
0: under wraps. Oh, okay. So, Nick, this week we have the pleasure of listening to and then
1: talking to all about a song which is called Apogee. Apogee, our 200th episode.
0: What was
1: that? <laughs> Tiny little bottle rockets? Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. They're adorable. Oh my gosh, 200 episodes. That's right. For those of you just listening, which is literally everyone, Omen did do the hand motions for the fireworks. We have had almost six times
0: as many episodes as Liz Truss was Prime Minister of Britain for
1: days. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Let me get the whiteboard. Yep, it checks out. Okay, good. Okay. Good. Great. Liz Truss. By the time this comes out, that will not be topical anymore. (laughs) She will have been not prime minister for as long as she was prime minister. Probably longer than she's been prime minister, yeah.
0: But political woes of other people's countries
1: aside, Nick, shall we jump into the song Apogee? Let's rock it into the sky and listen to this song.
0: Sailing around the true blue sphere
1: Nick, amen, Omen. Amen. Amen. That was Apogee. It
0: sure was. Was that a first time for you? No. I actually listened to Apogee earlier this week on my run. I've been trying to increase my running distance per week uh, because I'm trying to close in on a goal. And I decided to have a listen to Apogee on my run and discovered it is a spectacularly
1: bad running song. (laughs) Yes, that does not surprise me. These boots were not made for running. They were made for walking on the moon.
0: So how does this song... How does this song make you feel, Nick? When you listen to it, how,
1: what does it do to your body? It's got a kind of a dark mystery sound to it. Okay. It makes me slightly uneasy in the way that anything really space-related makes me uneasy. Oh, really? Anytime I watch anything space-related, there's always this level of like, I mean, it is the great unknown. It is the scariest thing it's scarier to me than the ocean depths. Really, the ocean depths are just fascinating to me. But there's uh-huh. so much, there's so much unknown out there, and there's so much science out there. There's, there's science everywhere, Nick. But we, I All understand. All you have to do is look. <laughs> I understand the science terrestrially. You have a better understanding of terrestrial science than you do of exoplanetary science. Yeah, yeah, because okay. there's a lot more funky going on out there. There is a high volume of funk in The Outer Reaches of Space. I'll give you that. Yeah, I think Einstein said that, right? Or was that Carl Sagan? I don't remember. It was both of them. They said oh. it at the same time, and they jinxed each other. And then we never heard a word from either of them ever again. It was, like, seriously one of the worst scientific setbacks this country's <laughs> ever had.
0: This song is has got a peculiar sound to it. I did not particularly like it when I was listening to it running, and I think it was just... Not a good medium,
1: not a good situation in which to listen to it. Right. You are not in the right mindset to experience a new tall song and really appreciate it, particularly one that like didn't go with the jive of the running.
0: And the rhythm of the song is something that I find really peculiar. Yeah. We've talked about, and I don't know if it's intentional. I don't know. It seems weird to me that it would be part of the recording process. I mean, I think when you record an album... There's no reason to record it in the order that you then put it on the album. That just seems really strange. Right, yeah.
1: It's like when you shoot a film, you don't start with the first shot in the film. You shoot with whatever's makes sense to do. Yeah, and I imagine you knock them all out and then you do the post-its of like, okay, this can go here and this can go here and maybe we should move this here. You know, As long as everything fits on the vinyl, which very quickly is, is becoming not an issue... Yeah, there's no reason. Even if you have a chronological story to tell, there's no reason to do it. Absolutely. And yet, as we go throughout this album, I am finding it to be more rhythmically
0: complicated the further in we get. And this song is really odd to me. I think it is in 8-8 time. Hmm. But you wouldn't freaking
1: know it from listening to it. (sighs) Is it just because it's so busy? Because there's a lot of beeps and tweets and drums and this and that? I think what it is is that it's, it's actually...
0: It's funny that you say it's busy because I find it actually to be incredibly sparse. Hmm. The beeps and tweets and things kind of bounce around in this yeah. big husk of a song. But in terms of actual structure, the bass is a lot further forward. The drums kind of come in and out. Mm-hmm. Martin steps in to melt a hole in the side of the tungsten panel, steps back out to recharge. But the biggest thing for me is that there's no... There's no instrument, particularly not Ian's voice, which is setting a constant distinct rhythm. The closest that we get is in the chorus. Apogee, solar bright. Apogee, through the night bright. Apogee, Apogee, through the night,
1: night night Other than that, it's really hard to find where the downbeat is. Yeah, musically, it is very simplified. I think for me... In a non-derogatory way, I find the sound effects and things distracting, you know, to take away from really counting that. But it really builds with the environment. It really makes the scene what it is. I'm not complaining about it at all.
0: Absolutely. And it almost, at a certain point, you know, if you imagine blasting off into space, the biggest difference that you will experience environmentally is the loss of gravity, or at least entering into microgravity. Mm. And so suddenly this massive structural thing that affects everything that you do is just totally different. And that's the feeling that I get from this song. It's like, as you go on, any little structure that you felt you had at the beginning kind of changes. And you really feel it feels like the instruments and the voices are bouncing around inside a big tin can. Yeah. Which is genius, but not great to run to again.
1: Don't recommend It's really running to br- the song. It's really brilliantly produced. Yes, it is. Off the top of your head, what's your first go-to song? Go-to tall song to run to? Right now, off the top of your head. Rover. Hmm. Okay. Busy enough, fancy enough, it's got a lot going on, etcetera, etcetera. And it's got a forward-driving, exciting press to it. Steel Monkey, also fantastic. Oh yeah, I can imagine that one. Yeah. Dicka-dicka-diga-digga-digga-digka-digga-da. Bow bow. Yeah. that's it yeah any of except for the like the love ballads most of the stuff from that era probably would work pretty good the Knopflerian ways uh-huh at first I was confused about the
0: time signature and, and then I thought you know I think it's an 8-8 eight, eight. and then I lost my faith <laughs> if I ever lose my faith in you you who, know that who was that is that Sting, Sting. yeah okay Sting
1: Goodbye. Sounded like Bob Dylan covering Sting, but well, I, we do. We all do our best. <laughs> That's literally what Rook said to me today. He was quizzing me on shapes that he had drawn, and he said, "What's this one?" I said, "That it, it's an oval." He's like, "No, wrong. It's a circle." I was like, "That's clearly an oval," and he said, "I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. <laughs> Drawing a circle is very hard. I mean, this was like a very squished circle. <laughs> no yeah, one would yeah. have guessed that was a circle. But he's five. He's five. Yeah." But then,
0: later on in the song, as we're starting to go into one of the sections of the NASA overlay, Mm -hmm. we get this little quick moment of Ian going, five, six, seven. Yeah, right near the end, yep. Uh Uh-huh, and
1: I was like, ooh, there is my proof, at least some of it is in eight. And then as it pulls back out, as the instruments fade away right before the NASA comes back in, he's up in the like the high 20s and goes into the 30s. So it could be in 32-8
0: time. That's what I was, that's what I was going for. Yeah. yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's, there's so much. Uh,
1: Nick, why do we love the music of Jethro Tall? Because it's good to run to. no not that because it is complex and multi-layered and can be interpreted in multiple ways and appreciated in multiple ways
0: yeah exactly and i think that what i failed to appreciate the first time i listened to this song was just how deeply
1: complex and Mm. environmental it is yes it really 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 paints that oral picture Mm. and despite it being despite it feeling on the slow side it's 5:20. It's over 5 minutes long. Really? It does not feel like 5 minutes. It feels like it goes way way more quickly than that. You know, within this song there are a couple of points that where he changes
0: things up, singing wise, where the band changes things up. Mm-hmm. Musically, there's the Beware a Host of Unearthly Daffodils. Yeah. That's what I would term the dream ballet section. Yep. Everything just kind of like goes into a slightly different feeling. I don't think the tempo actually changes, but I think that the instrumentation, the way that they're approaching the rhythm. And this is this whole song is a classic example of like, okay, here is the beat that if you had an education in music, you could probably identify. And here's what Ian is doing, which is really off the beat. Yeah. And constantly playing with that beat and doing anything but being directly on the beat. And then there are those other moments where, on the chorus, it goes more in line
1: with the beat. Mm -hmm. The dream ballet goes further off. He weaves in and out much like the volume of the instruments weaves in and out, and the sound effects and that environment weaves in and out. And I, I only heard, like, one or two instances of the vocal ejaculations. Everything else is replaced by... These sound effects. He had NASA ejaculate for him. They did, yeah. Yeah, it cost the government so much money. Yeah. But, I mean, it was worth it. They did a launch just for this song. Yeah. And they didn't even record the launch, just the control room. Right, yeah. Gross. This is a very funky song, and I do really, really enjoy it. It is so very different, and not only story-wise have we really progressed and felt an arc and a Mm -hmm. full story start to finish but sound wise we also have that on this album and it's really remarkable it's really really great to listen to start to finish it's like i i don't think i can't listen to any part of thick as a brick or passion play and not listen to the whole thing okay yep absolutely and i'm not sure i can with this album anymore either just because of how much it all fits together so well, and there's such a progression there.
0: It's a great comparison that you just made because it allows us to kind of highlight the massive differences between those two albums. If you listen to Thick as a Brick, if you listen to Passion Play, you start at the top, and you are guided through. Virgil is guiding you through every moment of that inferno. Absolutely. With this, it's more of a choose-your-own-adventure. It is. It's kind of like, here are three dozen points in space. You have to connect them. And the human mind, if you give the human mind two points, it will always try to draw a connection between them, no matter how tenuous. But in this case, we have a song about going to space. Mm -hmm. Previously, we had a song about kind of terrestrially-based space exploration or the desire to go to space. So already there, we have this story of like, oh, yeah, there was first this impulse to want to go to space, and then a bunch of research had to happen, and now we're going to space.
1: Right, yeah. But there's so many different ways that you can connect those dots with that album, and that's what is kind of brilliant for me. Yeah, honestly, that makes me want to listen to this album on shuffle and just see how it works. And it will work in one way or the other. Interesting. Yeah, sonically and story-wise. Yeah, that's very cool. And this is the first album of Tall that you could listen to on shuffle. Right. I mean, you could shake the shit out of your record player, but that just would But please really... don't. But don't. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we just got a strong letter from the Victrola company. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Vicky. Do
0: you remember when that Black Eyed Peas song came out in about 2005? That it, In the
1: breakdown, it was like, shake, 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 oh, shake, 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 shake it like a Polaroid picture. That's not Black Eyed Peas at all. Let me some sugar. I am your name that's andre 3000 of outcast oh my god outcast i'm sorry i'm sorry everybody that's embarrassing outcast does our new song sting omen you owe them at least that i owe them a hug but
0: anyway at that point the polaroid company released a statement saying there is no need to shake a polaroid picture it is actually it stops the development process please don't do it don't do it did anybody stop no they shook
1: it even harder yeah out of spite I am your neighbor. Take this Polaroid. Lend me some sugar. So Martin's stings in this are just so toothsome. I feel like I would have to go back and really listen to it to try to get a, a through line with him. But when he comes forward and then he comes back, there's a sting here and then it's followed by a synth sting and then Martin slowly fades in again. Just the environment, not only of these NASA-type sound effects, but of the kind of Hearts of Space mysterious synthy bit that we're getting is just, mm, it's so good. It's so yummy. We have talked
0: about how... Good Jethro toll is historically at mimicking or providing a dynamic that is reminiscent of certain sounds in the natural world. Yeah. I remember talking about Pine Martin's jig and it having the kind of supine, arboreal hunting feeling of a Pine Martin. We talked about at one point how the band was kind of evoking the feeling of a galloping horse without directly referencing, without directly going
1: tum-tick-a-tum-tick-a-tum. Yeah and oh tundra the creaky kind of mm-hmm. unsteady feeling of being on the ice as well and this i mean it's just another brilliant example of that yes sir you know you could compare
0: martin's playing to a solar flare coming mm-hmm. up suddenly and mm-hmm. or maybe a, a comet or a meteor passing by yep uh, that's a, absolutely how
1: i would describe it yeah
0: there's one thing i want to point out and maybe this is a bit of foreshadowing. But the very last line, the last stanza, Goodbye, cruel world that was my home. There's cleaner space out here to roam. Put my feet up on the moons of Mars. Sit back, relax, and count the stars. Goodbye, Goodbye cruel world that was my home. Oh, there's cleaner space out here to roam. Oh, oh, oh. But my feet on the word stars he produces such a vocal strain mm. count the stars it's so strange that it makes me wonder is that an intentional effect if so to what end because it does seem a little out of place in the song are we seeing a little window into maybe some unsupported
1: vocal technique that ultimately undermined and caused some damage i think contextually That The idea of, oh, I'm in a better place anyway, I'm happy here, I didn't want to be there anyway kind of thing is, it's juxtaposed by him being in pain, him letting out a sound of pain that he's not actually happy to be there. It's very Shakespearean in the delivery does not convince what the words are saying. You know, the delivery does not back what you're actually trying to impart. That there's a right angle. Yeah. You know,
0: I remember at one point in school, I had a really brilliant Shakespeare teacher who was going on about, what are the things called when you have contrasting things? You know, this is to this and this is to this. Oh, simile? Analogy? Yeah, analogy. But there's another, is a word where it's directly like, where you're contrasting this thing, where you're putting these two things that, that have opposite values up in front of each other. Mm, I yeah, I don't know. And Shakespeare does that all the time, you know, and even even within single phrases, oh, cold fire, oh, marvelous, mm. hot ice, etc.
1: Yeah. Not oxymoron, right? No. Yeah. That's what my Shakespeare teacher called, called me. Called you, yeah. Yeah. When you were high on Oxycontin. When
0: I was oh. high on Oxycontin yeah. in London. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, there's this idea of contrast and within the text there's all this contrast. And... You know, she was hammering it home with with everybody. And so I did my speech and she said, okay, the contrasts within the text were good. Now, how do you produce contrasts between the text and your performance? Mm. And that's really what you're talking about here. Yeah. Which is that next level of performance, which is like, okay, how can you say the thing that you're saying? Great. Now, how can you say the thing that you're saying so that we understand that you are feeling something not quite the same as what you are saying, even though you're saying that and believing it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a big Hamlet thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go and kill that guy. Right. But you see him on the inside having the inability to do that
1: thing that he's talking so passionately about. Right. Yeah. No, mom, I'm thrilled that you married my uncle. Right. <laughs> yes. I hate you, Ophelia. Right. Get yeah. thee to a nunnery. Right. Go away from me, mm-hmm. you that I love and want. Right. Wow. I, it is. Breaking my soul to to say this to you. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that place. Apogee. Apogee. Okay, Omen. So we're going to start with Eldis's email. For context, this is in direct relation to our trying to guess why Martin felt so unleashed on this album why he felt so free to produce the sound that amazing sound that he produced amazing yes so aldous writes in and says dearest mom's i've been meaning to get this tidbit off to you but work intrudes while listening to the radio free moscow episode i realized i'd left it too long i may have some insight into martin barr's outstanding work on the under wraps album I distinctly remember reading an interview with Martin Barr regarding Under Wraps, where he talked about always having had tremendous anxiety in the recording studio. So the interview was conducted by David Reese and Martin Webb of A New Day, the Jethro Tull fan magazine. It was issue 13, published January 1988, features the interview on pages 4 through 13. It was conducted in September of 87 during rehearsals for the Crest tour. Here is the relevant excerpt. Quote, since Broadsword, I've come to enjoy making albums a lot more than I did. I used to hate them, partly I think to being a bit in awe of recording studios and of being afraid to fail. Failing in a recording studio means there's no let-off. On stage, you have got a bit of leeway. You can get away with things, make the odd mistake, and things can still sound better than they are. But in a studio, things probably sound worse than they are. You can't get away with anything. And I had the sort of studio attitude where I was relying too much on the guy in the control room. I was too neurotic about sounds, and it really only changed when I started setting up my own studio in Devon, and I found out when you plugged in an amp and a guitar, stuck it down a channel, and switched out the EQ, you got exactly the guitar sound that you were playing. And I thought, well, hang on, these people get you playing a riff for an hour to get a certain sound, but really there's no problem. It was all wrong and you realize that the right attitude to have in a studio is that all that gear is there to enhance what you're already achieving rather than fighting against it. Wow. And so it all really changed at that point. And Peter Vitesse being in the band, his musical input to the band excited me more than anybody's. While Peter was with us, I felt that he helped me a lot with my own playing. So the last few years have built up my confidence in my playing, and I enjoy playing more. So there you have it, straight from the Martin bar shaped horse's mouth. Carry on moaning, Eldis. Wow, that's fascinating on so many levels. Absolutely, yeah.
0: That relates so much to what we were talking about on our crossover episode with Claire Holditch.
1: Yeah, taking advantage of the technology and enjoying the music for what it is. Embracing it, yeah. It's incredible that just that shift of mindset is so powerful. Yeah, to make such a drastic
0: change. It reminds me of, I just recently heard an interview with Michael Keaton, who played Batman. I love Michael Keaton, yeah. Oh, an amazing actor. Yeah. When he was living in L.A., he was going to a lot of auditions, and he would get so nervous in the audition that he would biff it. Mm-hmm. Which is a very, pretty common experience for people whole sure. audition. And he realized that he had a mindset of, I need to do this audition so that I can get the job, so that I can get the job, so that I can get the job. Right. And one day he realized, wait a minute, auditioning is the job. Yeah. If I get 20 minutes in a room in front of a casting director, if I get five minutes in a room in front of a casting director, that's my job for the day. That's my work. I'm just going to work. Right. So he would just go to work. And because he was relaxed, he started booking parts. Yeah. It's amazing how just that one little tweak of the mindset can totally change your whole experience of something.
1: Yeah, there's still a lot riding on it. It's still high stakes, but just that change in approach can make such a remarkable change. It's really so brilliant. Fantastic. Thank you, Potier. Yes, thank you, Eldis. That was fantastic, fantastic quote. Greatly appreciate that. This has been the Potier Report. Boop, 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 boop. You have a little bit of info from... The great magical tome that is silent singing, yes? Yes, the Moam Tome of silent singing, or rather the licensed Jethro Tull official. The Tull Tome. The Tull Tome. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Tull Tales. The wonderful volume, silent singing, has a lot of photographs in it, and next to the song Apogee, there is an incredible photo, and I will read you the caption, and then I will give you a little visual description of what it looks like. The photo caption reads, Inside the thruster cone of Space Shuttle Atlantis during decommissioning after its final flight in 2011. U.S. astronauts Colonel Katie Coleman and Mike Fossum kindly arranged a special visit backstage, quote-unquote, at Kennedy Space Center. And the image looks very much like what you would see if you stared into my Italian coffee pot. There's a long kind of brown... striated volume, cylinder, cylinder going toward what looks a lot like kind of an Italian coffee filter. It does. Yeah. But it's a beautiful, beautiful image. Also kind of reminds me of a butthole. Wow. Okay. Speaking of buttholes, Nick, let's talk about the album art.
1: Okay. Great to follow that. So let's dive into the album art. So our additional personnel on this album has Trevor Key for cover photo and photography, mm-hmm. John Pash or Pashi P A S C H E, is artwork and cover design, and Sheila Rock is photography. And our album cover here is no gatefold; it's just one piece. We've got that silhouette of a woman. Covered, clearly lying on her back. Her legs kind of kicked up at an angle. And a uh, white sheet is over her, but she's backlit. So you see only the woman, the silhouette of the woman. And kind of the folds where the fabric increases its own opacity by the way that it's lying. Yeah, it kind of falls around her, yeah. And on that fabric is the new Attempt at a Tull logo. You know, it's it's a T with a U and two Ls. In it's in a blue circle. Yes, it's very Karl Lagerfeld redesigning the Fendi brand. It's big on the back as well. It's kind of a close-up of that. And the back has just the list of songs on either side of said logo. And that's about it for our art.
0: It's funny that you say that, and as soon as you say it, it's so obvious that it looks like the sheet is draped over the woman. I had never interpreted it that way. I always assumed that there was a suspended piece of fabric onto which they put the model and then shot her from underneath. Oh. Which I realize doesn't
1: necessarily make a lot of sense, but something about the way that the fabric is folded? I don't i don't think so. It doesn't look taut enough to, for her weight to be on it. There's too much loose folding. You're saying that she's... What are you saying, Nick? You shouldn't say that about a woman
0: or about anyone there's no shame it's just a statement no but you're totally right and i don't know why my brain flipped the image up up like that like she was suspended
1: above the viewer Mm. just like any other aspect of tall it is open to interpretation some interpretations less right than others (laughs) the image is very stark yeah it's very monochromatic it's almost black and white and it really fits the album yeah and just a, a little follow-up note on John Pash artwork and cover design. John is the man credited with designing the tongue-and-lips logo of the Rolling Stones. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yes. He, this man has a lot under his belt. He has done a lot of work. I mean, he worked with Paul McCartney, The Who, The Stranglers, he also created the M.C. Escher-inspired band logo for Vandergraph Generator. Wow. He's done a lot. He's done a lot. Probably his biggest contribution would be that Rolling Stone's lips and tongue, for sure. Amazing, Yeah. He's got a lot under his wraps. There are things coming out from under the wraps, yeah. Well, Nick, I think I'm wrapped out. Yeah? I'm ready to go into the context side of things. Shall we dive in? Okay, so we've clearly got a space story here. We've clearly got someone going to space. It's not that much of a stretch to fit this into our overarching spy story, right? Not at all. It's very Moonraker. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking, is this the end of Moonraker? Has his mission actually brought him to space at this point? Absolutely, which is totally reasonable.
0: And I think, you know, you mentioned context, the context of this period, talking about the Cold War, talking about the technological arms race. There's kind of this really, and I think the lyrics really talk about this quite a lot. There's this amazing tension between the potential of space exploration to give mankind a vantage point from which to see the Earth as a unified, singular place, Mm -hmm. where there are no divisions between countries Mm. and the fact that space technology and space exploration was being used at that time in this extremely destructive partisan way where people were figuring out, hey, could we launch a nuclear missile from
1: space at our enemies? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And in this particular story aspect here. Even though you're getting out into space to see the world as it is as a one whole unit and everybody is sharing the Earth, the only reason you're going to space Uh is because of the bad guys, you know, quote unquote. Exactly, exactly. So it's an incredible tension. And I
0: wonder if, you know, we have at the end of this song, we have the person kind of leaving, Hmm. leaving Earth altogether. And I, I wonder if maybe emotionally that's
1: that tension sets up that decision. Yeah. Or, I mean, could this be allegorical, you know, in the sense where he's not actually leaving space? I can almost see it as he's getting out of the spy game and leaving his world is is no longer being a spy, is having to have a new identity, you know, things like that. I like that. Now, before we get too much further... Let's talk about the word apogee. Oh, that's actually not a terrible idea. Yeah. What is an apogee omen?
0: So apogee is a term used in rocketeering and in other flight-inspired language to mean the high point of an arc. Yeah. So it is the it is the highest point of a vessel or a rocket before it makes its return back to Earth. It is the maximum point it goes before it succumbs to the forces of
1: gravity, and/or runs out of fuel. I believe it's synonymous with both apex and nadir. Ralph nadir? I think nadir is the. <laughs> I think nadir is the opposite. <laughs> is that the nadir lowest? The bottom. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Zenith. It is the exact opposite of nadir. You're right.
0: Exact opposite of nadir. Zenith. Oh, zenith. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's a term which
1: is specifically used when it comes to rockets. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, it all fits in. In terms of the story, the idea of going to space, it is the last song, so we've reached that peak. It's interesting that it wasn't placed at like the end of side one or the start of side two, you know, so we can see that trajectory down. Having it be the last song, quote unquote, really makes it kind of a cliffhanger, kind of open for, you know, how you can watch a movie and you're like, okay, they were definitely planning a sequel here. It almost has that feel of like, it's really anyone's guess unless we're told otherwise.
0: It's also, you know, it's such a great metaphor for so many things. I mean, you could say, did the writer have a sense that this
1: is the apex of their writing career, of their performing career, that it's all downhill from here? That is sadly poignant considering Ian's voice.
0: Well, at this point, it would be easy to imagine like, yeah, maybe our best years are behind us, maybe... Some of that doubt starts to creep in. Probably not. Or is it, are we saying that all of this tension in the world, all of this kind of conniving and we're using all of our resources to get one up on our fellow humans on Earth, have we reached the apogee of civilization? Is the world now, has it reached this high point and Now it's run out of goodwill and it's going to succumb to the forces of kind of tribalism. Sailing around the true blue sphere, is it too late to bail out of here? Well there has to be some better way to turn back the night spin on to yesterday. the true blue is it too-
1: was a lot to unpack there yeah yeah sailing around the true blue sphere obviously space right we're in orbit could also just be like traveling from country to country could be you know yeah is it too late to bail out of here can i get out of the spaceship can i get out of being a spy can i get out of being a rock star can i get out of being alive can i Ooh. oh now now we're really getting into hamlet yeah
0: yeah, it is a bit Hamlesian.
1: No, nope, that, that's... Hamletudinous. Ha- <laughs> tutinous is just such a great suffix. Put it behind anything and it's just... Hamletonian. Yeah, that probably makes the most sense, but Tudinous is delightful.
0: There's also this kind of contrast between the word apogee and the whole emotional drive of the song. It It, it is almost as if, at the point where return is inevitable, the person thinks... Maybe I just hit the retro thrusters
1: and I skip out of orbit entirely rather than returning to Earth. Right, yeah. What are your options at that point? Is there regret that he didn't want to do it in the first place? Is it like, well, I've got nothing else to go back to. I might as well just get out of here. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. There's also this sense of like, we worked so hard if you go to the second verse.
0: The old man and his crew, after all these years, it's apogee. Pilot training and remorse spirit friends fly to at apogee apogee the old man and his crew. You know, it's like, we've done all this work, and for this?
1: Yeah, I've dedicated my life to being a spy, and maybe I turned some agents, and I rescued people, and I stole some information. But, I mean, to what end at this point? What good have I done for this? What good has come from my work? Yeah, and even if you take it, you know, from the, the spaceman, from the space traveler's
0: point of view... In the context of the Cold War, it's like we've done all of this work in order to get a a high-resolution picture of somebody else's military base. That's it? (laughs) Right, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe if we just asked nicely,
1: I could have married Susie Q and not given away my life to this training facility. Yeah. But if you were never a super spy, you never would have met Svetlana.
0: Yeah. And also, Susie Q is now a general in the other teams army. Oh,
1: she got picked up. She got turned. Wow. She got turned. She did get turned. Yeah.
0: <laughs> She's the tall general. <laughs> Ooh. I like it. It's a foreshadowing. That's nice.
1: It's very nice.
0: And then the chorus kind of reinforces that. Apogee, solar bright, apogee through the night, apogee over ground. Don't think I'll be coming down. So this sense of like, wow, having worked so hard to have this one flash of realization about the incredible nature of existence and the true brightness of sunlight and the true unity of the earth,
1: I don't want to go back to civilization. Right. Yeah. So is it just disappear or is it like sacrifice yourself? Sabotage. Sabotage, yeah. The mission. Ooh. Mm. Yeah.
0: Nick, what do you make of the... Okay. One thing that I we have to address: see Tennyson and Wordsworth there waiting for me in the cold, thin air. Tennyson and Wordsworth were major English poets. Mm. Tennyson was the poet laureate of England during the later part of the reign of Queen Victoria. And, you know, really brought the format of English poetry to new heights in a way. What does it mean that they are waiting for him in
1: this air, in this place that he's in? Well, presumably they're dead. They are, can confirm. But I think it does have something to tie back to the line right before it, how to explain how to begin. Maybe it's just they are the inspiration. He's looking to them, to their style or to their poetry to begin to explain what is out the window, what he is Hmm. experiencing, what he is seeing. I like that. You know, I think it's a little too easy to say, oh, well, they're dead and he's going to be dead. I he, agree. he could have picked anybody. But there's something more there with our context clues of Tennyson and Wordsworth specifically.
0: Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great possible interpretation. Yeah.
1: Beware a host of unearthly
0: daffodils. I'll tell the boys drifting golden back home, turned up loud. I'm going to get some. What do we make of that? First of all, with the parentheses, we could read it as, Beware a host of unearthly daffodils drifting golden, turned up loud.
1: I'm going to get some. And then I'll tell the boys back home. So, sonically, the way it's sung is the Beware a host of unearthly daffodils drifting golden, turned up loud. That's the one, like, kind of floaty, ethereal version of Ian singing underneath in between the two it's tell the boys back home he kind of like harsh whispers it and then at the end it's i'm gonna get some so what are these unearthly daffodils stars that's kind of what i thought but also why do you have to beware them why are they turned up loud is it bombs falling (sighs) drifting golden turned up loud you know or no it's not that <laughs> no 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 well it could be though you know what happens when you go to space yeah. and you have to use the bathroom so is it the frozen pee? is that what you're it saying it could be the frozen pee. no it's not the frozen pee. it could be it's definitely not the frozen drifting pee. golden no showers Nope. nope i'm gonna veto that one i'm not okay. gonna try on that <laughs> okay so it's probably stars or bombs. Yeah, I think so. But also, speaking of golden showers, we do have two above that. Don't forget to urinate at the end. Don't
0: forget to urinate.
1: And I just want to super, super call back to our crossover episode with Vernacular Verbose. And I don't remember. I think it was Eugene. He quizzed us. He said, what song is the line Don't Forget to Urinate from? And we had no idea. Yeah, because we were not super familiar with this album at that point. Yeah, he got us. He got us good. Jumping from Don't Forget to Urinate, I want to go down a couple. And we've got the line. The first line in the first verse after that kind of weird like bridgey bit. After I'm going to get some, we've got the wrong stuff's loose in here. hmm The wrong
0: stuff's loose in here.
1: Do you understand that reference, the wrong stuff?
0: My interpretation is that there are two possible ways of looking at it. You know, if you're in a rocket and the wrong stuff gets loose in the rocket, mm. that's not a good thing because, right. you know, the G-forces and then zero gravity can combine to make something end up where it shouldn't, and then you could have a punctured valve or you can't find the special key, but also the wrong stuff's loose in here. It's almost like this entire episode could be a metaphor for a train of thought, for a certain philosophical exploration. Hmm. You know, if you do all this work to get to the point where you have this incredible burst of realization about the world, about your life, that can... Make the wrong stuff loose in your head. Hmm, interesting. You haven't got stuff locked down. You know, all those doubts about, oh, yeah, you know, this is cruel and whatever, but we do it because it's capitalism, you know, and, you know, I've got to put bread on my table. Right. But if that thought gets loose or if that doubt gets loose and starts rattling around, it can actually start to dislodge some of the structures, some of the mental structures that you've created. That's mm-hmm. kind of the way that I interpret it.
1: I think that works with this particular underlying reference that I think it has to be. So this album is 1984. Uh huh. In the year 1983, a movie called The Right Stuff came out. Oh, I remember hearing about that. What's, yep. what's that about? So it's about the U.S. space program from the team that was working to break the sound barrier. They took guys off of that project and brought them onto Project Mercury, which was the project for the first human spaceflight. Wow. Yeah. And they were the right stuff. And they were the right stuff. Yeah, exactly. With that context, he is the wrong stuff. That's exactly it. Yeah. You put the wrong guy in this rocket. I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. I'm climbing up the walls. Yeah. And really, I want to
0: jump back a little bit to the verse... Screened for a stable mate. Screened for a stable mate. Okay, stable mate is a play on words, obviously, with it sure. being stable. Right. But also when you sign up to be an astronaut <laughs> at the as you know, you go down to the <laughs> astronaut shop and you're like, Yes, <laughs> me please. I could be an astronaut. Like, okay. One of the things that they do is they put you through a series of really rigorous psychological tests. Sure, of course. To see can you handle the pressure of being in a in space. Mm-hmm. With nerves of ice we flew at Apogee. No creativity allowed to pass through stainless veins of steel at Apogee. With nerves of ice we flew at Apogee. No creativity. Oh, my God, stainless veins of steel. What a beautiful line. Yeah. I love that it's not veins of stainless steel. Right. But it is almost as if he got through, but he doesn't have the mental capacity to
1: remain calm in this situation. And instead, he's losing his freaking mind. Well, yeah, because he's the super spy who needed to be on the mission regardless. Mm -hmm. You know, he he kind of got, not grandfathered in, but he got excused to be a part of this because of his circumstances. And he may be a, a really great spy, may not be a really great spy, but he certainly isn't a decent astronaut. He faked his documents. Maybe MI5 did.
0: And even, I'm now thinking about the album art and thinking that that is even James Bond adjacent in the... Credit scenes for James Bond—they always have these kind of silhouettes moving in a fluid background. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not an overt reference, I think, but it's a undervert reference. Right, and the idea of a woman under a sheet is very James Bond. Oh yeah, over a sheet—is she dead, or is she in his bed? Better in bed than dead. That's better. Better dead and Nope. What? Mm-hmm. I've got a better Ted in bed. A better
0: Ted. This is my deadbed TED talk. <laughs> so with all of the things that we've talked about, I kind of feel like what we have here is spy story or not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At the most pared down, essentialized part of it, we have a story about someone who goes to space and freaks out and is on the point of hijacking the mission. And at the moment when they should be returning to Earth, deciding, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not coming back.
1: Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, and I think on the surface, it is that. I think it can be interpreted in a less less fantastical way and interpret it as him leaving the world of being a spy or leaving the world of rock and roll. I think they all work very well.
0: It's such a brilliant story because it allows so many things to connect with it. It's like a universal
1: Lego piece. Yes. It works for anything. And ultimately, that's what it is, is it's really just a big decision, a big life decision, and regretting it, or going with it, or completely changing course from what you had planned to begin with. You know, you were talking earlier about how
0: space frightens you more than the underwater space, (laughs) the depths of the ocean. That's
1: what we call the oceans, the underwater Underwater space, space, yes.
0: Have you heard about, I forget what they call it, but I think they call it something like diver's hypnosis, Mm. Where divers will dive down and it it, it happens with inexperienced divers more often, but it can happen with very experienced divers that when you get down there, the world that you are confronted with under the sea is so foreign and so breathtakingly beautiful and so mind boggling that people will literally forget to breathe and forget to come up for air. Yeah. And I feel like that's this is that moment. It's just like, oh, my God. I can see the pyramids, and there's where my mom hung her panties up to dry. And it's all too much, and I just can't take it anymore, and I can't ever go back. I'm going to pull the red lever. Which is the
1: ejection seat? Yeah, it's one of those things. (laughs) Regardless of what it is, there's no turning back after you pull that red lever. That's right. Whether it's buying a house or quitting your job or going into space. Yeah. Nick, anything else to say about Apogee? <laughs> Apogee? Nothing for Apogee for me.
0: we and show us what each one of us can do
1: We don't have pink cotton undies on our Talk Told to Me merch store, but We do have T-shirts and sweatshirts, pillows, mugs. You can check it all out at the TeePublic link that can be found in our show notes. See pyramids. See standing stones. See a
0: Discord group full of fellow tall skulls with whom you can converse for the
1: slow, low price of $5 a month. Creativity is most definitely allowed when you drop us a review paired with your five-star rating, of course, on Apple Podcasts. In fact, we encourage and embrace the creativity.
0: We don't screen for stable, and you will need Nerves of Ice to listen to the two (laughs) monthly podcasts that we put out for our Discord subscribers. Did you
1: stretch for that one? It was a bit...
0: I, I should have stretched before I stretched for that one. I think
1: I pulled something. Until next week, I am the old man with his crew, Nick McGill. I am the unearthly daffodil, Omen Thomas said. Is it too late to bail out of here? We're the feckless moams. And
0: goodbye, cruel world. This is Talk Tall to Me.
1: Ten. Nine okay ignition seven, is ready six switches flip five, thrusters on four, fins out we three, are ready two, to go let's one, i guess let's do this
0: ignition blast off <laughs> oh man i'm so we look i did all my checks wow, this is checked out the g-forces are really really pressing yeah. Um, is there any? I know we're just a couple hundred thousand feet from the outskirts of the troposphere. Do you do you think we could just go back
1: really quick? I kind of kind of forgot to um, use the can back back in Houston. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we're wearing diapers. You can just just go pee and then you can change it out when. You know I've always had this thing since I was a kid. Oh, flip the external thrusters. So we have to detach the
0: fuel lines and. Okay. Confirmed. Coil release check. Now. Okay. Great. Great. Okay. Good, great. good. 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 Yeah, I just can't really. I you know I, I kind of have to use the bathroom in my own house. It's kind of a weird thing. I've always been that way, for number
1: two at least. Yeah, you don't. But you don't have to go number two. I right? do. I have to do it all. I have to do it all. Okay. Well, but I mean, you know, we're not, we're not going to be back to Earth for like, for months. What did you plan to do? I, I mean, just, there's a, there's a didn't... John, but.
0: I went. You know, I went last week. You know, I know. it's just the the jalapeno poppers that they served us right at the at the blast off party. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have had three of them. You drank a lot of coffee, too. I, I mean, did, I did. I'm wired, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, quickly, the computer's telling me that we
1: have a 0.3 variance on our yep. left fin. Can you correct? Correcting in three, two, we should be level now.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that checks out. That looks good. Okay. Nice work.
1: Okay, so, so I mean, what can I do to help you to just to pee right now All so right. you can be on top of your
0: game? I'm again. looking at our fuel levels, and I think yep. we should be fine. If okay. we just stab at anywhere in the asteroid belt, I can just do a quick spacewalk and just, you know, kind of go behind a class four asteroid and get back in. Base doesn't even have to know, you know. We don't have to worry them about that kind
1: of stuff. In space, no one can hear you pee. That's absolutely what I read as a comic book reader. Yeah, right. Okay. So, I mean, we've got, looks like a class four coming up on your six. Okay, yes. Take Let's, a look. How's that look?
0: That's that's a perfect uh, that's a perfect specimen. Okay. And speaking of specimens, I'm about to make a touchdown mark on the inside of my spacesuit.
1: Let's, uh... NASA will not be thrilled. Are you not wearing underpants? I never do on these flight missions. It's, oh. it's a It's a superstitious thing. Okay, so you're not wearing underpants or the diaper. No. Or any layers? Are you, you're literally just going commando you, you are a commander i suppose so i mean you're just uh,
0: that's what they called me in flight school the commando commander i'm like a am like a monkey wrapped in saran wrap i'm just nude except for that last layer uh before we lose this i'm gonna i'm gonna put us into a into a synchronous orbit yep. with um asteroid six 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 beta one okay and we are locked on thrusters in five, three, yes. one. Two, go okay, okay. great Confirmed. Orbit achieved. This is just We're reading you know, an unplanned course divergence. Can you confirm? Negative. negative Houston. That's, uh, you've got some malfunctioning readings. We're, we're trying to clear up the
1: signal here. Just going along. Everything's fine in the, the trash compactor. How are you? That's. I hate you so much. Okay, okay, let's. You
0: know what? I We've got a good view here. I just want to wait until we're on the dark side of the asteroid. Yep. I've got my helmet on. If you can just get
1: that latch in the back. Yep. <laughs> Okay, you. you're you're on, you're good. Looks like your oxygen is hooked. Thank you so much. I'm gonna go into the. You just wanna take the
0: controls. You should be yep. able
1: to get this one with your
0: foot and this one with okay. your hand.
1: Okay. We're good, I got I'm gonna it. Go into the airlock. When you're ready, let me know. I can release from here. Sealing the airlock. Please don't say release. Oh, okay. It's sealed.
0: I'm about to break the seal. Oh, the view out here is amazing! It's so great. I've got a class five intentional Wiener breach in the aft portion of my spacewalk suit.
1: You know, I I feel a little bit like Michael Collins here. I mean, you get to see the view, and I'm I'm stuck in here driving the lem. Am I right?
0: Believe me, buddy, this is like this is like a lemonade stand gone wrong. I don't think you want to oh, see
1: this. It's just icy pops. It's <laughs> all the way down. Only lemon lime. Yeah. I, it is a chilly breeze up
0: here in the spacesuit, but yeah. I am. Um,
1: You're a grower, not a shower. I've I got take a
0: malfunction. It. I've got a malfunction, Commander.
1: <laughs> What's? I... Okay, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it on the meters here.
0: Oxygen levels dropping.
1: You did open the front of your suit. I mean, I did. I... I'm losing cohesion. Uh, I have to tell you the. Finish peeing. Zip it back up. I'm trying. You I can fix... do this. You can do this. You've done this. You've done this. You've trained for this. You're a professional.
0: I'm losing my, ra- my radio, but if I don't make it back, I have to tell you that the codes for re-entry are... Doc, all to me as a proud member of the Factless Booms Audio Network. Well, this is Houston to the-, the Golden Rocket. Is everything okay up there? we got some strange readings. Is everything all right?